0: Welcome to the War Nomads podcast, delivered by War Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand. It's not your usual travel podcast, it's everything for
1: the adventurous independent traveler. Irresponsible and dangerous, or challenging and exciting. This is urban exploring or urbexing where participants document their infiltrations of the man-made environment and post them on the internet for online acclaim. Usually the locations from communications towers and roller coasters to catacombs and bunkers are restricted areas and often derelict. The fear is that those who take part are pushed to take ever greater
2: risks to boost their following.
0: That is Fraser Maud from Sky News, who Phil pretty much has just given us the definition of urban exploration or urbex, the topic on this week's episode of the World Nomads podcast. We're going rogue.
2: <laughs> there are plenty of abandoned shopping malls, hotels, zoos, theme parks, mansions and even airports around the world to explore. And these mostly forbidden places attract Thousands of urban explorers every year, a few of whom we will chat to in this episode.
0: Yeah, plus we'll touch on that blurred line between exploration and daring Insta-worthy photos. What's your take on it?
2: Uh, They make me pucker up inside when I see some of them because, um, you know, I don't have that feeling of being bulletproof anymore.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with yeah. you. Our first guest, though, is Seth Lawless, an American-based photographer, artist, published author, political activist, HuffPost contributor and photojournalist. He's best known for his extensive documentation, Beautiful Work, to have abandoned places all over the world. That's at least what Wiki says about him. I threw in the Beautiful Work bit.
2: Uh, fair enough. He's been documenting the most forgotten places throughout America and sharing them as part of what he says is America history that needs to be heard but does he get a buzz out of it uh
3: yeah you know it's exciting for me to do it all started very uh innocently enough uh years ago i I grew up in cleveland ohio for those of uh, of you and listeners that that don't know cleveland ohio is part of the rust belt region of america and these uh the rust belt was made up of, of cities like detroit michigan cleveland ohio gary indiana Uh, in Youngstown, Ohio, Elyria, Akron. Uh, So you have a bunch of cities that wrap around the Great Lakes region of the country of the United States. and These were some of the biggest cities after World War II uh, in the country. They were rich with jobs. A lot of people moved there. A lot of American manufacturing jobs and globalization shipped those jobs overseas since World War II. And so those cities uh, slowly crumbled. They're a former shell of itself in a way. They, They used to be Um, like I said, the largest cities, and they dwindled to some of the smallest, and Detroit went bankrupt. So you have a lot of empty uh, structures, right? You have a lot of abandoned factories where people work. You have a lot of abandoned neighborhoods where people live, abandoned schools, abandoned malls, abandoned amusement parks. It was systemic. And so, as a kid, seeing that growing up, um, you know, living amongst that, there was, you know, there was a point in my young childhood, I remember going outside and being able to do a 360 and look around. And in the back, like if you lived out west or if you lived in the plains or by mountains, you could see mountains all around you. If you could kind of uh, relate to that. Where I lived, you could grow up, uh, you know, you would turn around in 360 and almost see an abandoned structure hovering in the in the, in the horizon almost every place you looked. And it would stay there for you. Uh, so over the years, it's changed somewhat. Some areas have gotten better. Uh, some have not. And so I started documenting it really, really early on. And it was pretty much for myself. A lot of those images um, uh, I have today just shoved underneath a, a, a shoebox still somewhere in a closet or something. That's how it started. It wasn't until after 9-11, which the terrorist attack here in the United States in 2001, where there was this huge kind of backlash. and I was part of this anti-war movement. We were going into uh, a countries that I thought had nothing to do with 9/11. Our society was switching in a way, so politically it was very—it was kind of a, a weird position to be in in the United States at that time, uh, in terms of the, the political leanings and, and, and how you express certain things. And I was very much uh, thought a good way to do things to show um, a different side of America, with the premise of. United States constantly going into other countries and telling other countries how to live and how to treat their citizens. And I view that as, you know, we have a lot of things here we could fix first. We have a lot of problems here. We should not be going around and telling other countries what to do. Um, I think largely we've lost a little bit of the moral authority in the world because of that kind of hypocritical view. And so I thought a good way to do is take images of what I was seeing and share them. And a lot of people don't know this about my my body of work. My body of work, if you look at some of the earlier stuff, was I was going to use social media to show a vulnerable side of the country. And I wanted people outside of America to to see America uh, in the way that I was showing it. Instagram started promoting those images to their popular page, which was the old Explore page. It was much different than today. The images were reaching a lot of people from Australia, Brazil, Russia. They were shocked by what they were seeing. Most people thought, no way, that's America. That looks like a third world country. They were seeing a side of America that they'd never seen. So that's kind of where my you know, where my where I really wanted my work to reach. It wasn't until I started sharing those images for a couple of years where Americans kept writing me, where is this? <laughs> this can't be America. This is a third world country. They were having the same response. And sometimes I would look, and it was only a couple hundred miles from where they lived. So, unbeknownst to me, I was, you know, I was in denial. I, you know, I, I want people to see my images and see the beginning of the end of the greatest economic, great greatest economic machine that the world has ever seen, America. And I think people were seeing that, and it scared them in a way, it fascinated them in another way, and the work kind of took off from there. But that's really how it all started.
0: Were you not frightened to use those images to affect change? What happened with uh, Disney, the theme park?
3: Yeah, the Disney one was, was interesting in, in a way. Um, I had went down there thinking about, oh, you know, not much, right? I, I was going to go and document some abandoned parts of Disney. I never thought it would take off. I never thought it would go viral more than once in a way that it did, especially over the world. Um, and I was shocked. I was, I was more shocked of what I saw once I was there. I remember going into the Abandoned River Country Water Park, and I remember being in there. I snuck inside. Uh, I had to, I was stuck inside for hours. Uh, I couldn't get out because security was outside. And once I was inside, I knew I was stuck there for a while. When I started uh, uh, filming and I started photographing very discreetly, I released the images to the press. And then all of a sudden, uh, the first thing that I did is I, I went home and I, I wrote my own column for the Huffington Post at that time. And I, I still remember it was about 11 o'clock at night. I said to myself, well, you know, people might think these images are interesting. There was really no agenda behind it. I wasn't trashing Disney whatsoever. I, I run this uh, generic little column I wrote for Huffington Post. It trends, it starts to get a lot of traction on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. By morning, Huffington Post calls me up and says, listen, we saw that you posted it up to the site last night. We got to take it down. Disney, very upset at you. They're threatening legal action we're sorry we just have to take it down I was a little disenchanted by that you know they didn't really have my back I wasn't bashing Disney whatsoever so I said okay I'm hoping to post it to one I ended up calling all of my contacts ended up going viral they were so livid at me for doing that so what I did was I, I pretty much just hit them back
4: Basketeers singing the praises of River Country, Disney World's very first water park. River Country. The water park opened in 1976, but the fun wouldn't last forever. River Country was shut down in 2001 and here it is today a land without people these dramatic pictures were taken just a few weeks ago by photographer Seth Lawless
1: The images that I that I took
3: show uh, a complete uh, abandonment of uh, a once thriving disney water park where there's water slides covered in vines and plants and flowers and just walkways and places that are completely overgrown just completely abandoned and forgotten i think that is a that is creating an environment for alligators to thrive to live peacefully and to go undetected
4: did you see alligators
3: yes but i saw you know several You know, over the course of shooting, yes, absolutely.
0: Now that audio was from Inside Edition and Seth was actually banned from all Disney World properties after releasing those images, which you can see in his book Abandoned, Hauntingly Beautiful Deserted Theme Parks and we'll have a link in show notes.
2: So we know he can stir things up, but has he ever been arrested?
3: I have. I've been arrested several times. 90% of the time I get charged with a criminal trespass After I appeared on a national uh, Fox News show here in 2014, about 24 hours after that aired and my face was on and I was interviewed, there was a a warrant issued for my arrest. Uh, Me and my lawyer go in. We think that we're just going to have to pay a fine. We're going to have to bond out and then go back to court and we'll fight it and uh, we'll do what we normally do. Prosecutors there wanted to make an example out of me once we were there. They upped you to a felony. They tried to say I, I broke an answer, which I didn't. There's no evidence of, of anything. Thank God I had my lawyer there. My lawyer uh, got the prosecutor to keep it as criminal uh, uh, criminal trespass, which is a misdemeanor, not a felony. I've never been charged with a felony. This was a, a gross overstep to the prosecution. City officials wanting to make an example out of me, and as I'm waiting for my lawyer Having that discussion with the prosecutor outside, and the detectives in, all, in the uh, interrogation room, and they flat out told me, "Hey, man, we uh, we love your stuff. It's it's cool, but we have to deal with parents are upset, bunch of little kids. You're starting this whole urban exploring kind of movement. It's, it's blowing up. We got a lot of kids going into these places that you're going into after. These parents are upset. So I knew I was a scapegoat at that point. And I knew at that point forward, I'm going to have to be really really careful. And it's happened." Several times after that, I remember in 2016, Thanksgiving, almost two years to the date, I went and shot an abandoned mall right outside of Chicago. Blew up and with Facebook Live. It started to trend on Facebook. Again, about 24 hours later, I get a call. We have a warrant for your arrest, yada, yada. I handled that over the phone. And then just literally two months ago, the same detective calls me up and says, Hey, Steph, Is there any way I could get a signed copy of your book? I'll just you back. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean... Sometimes I think you have to break the law to do the right thing. And I I don't encourage people to do it, but I just can't. I know that the images that I'm going to capture are going to be very poignant, very powerful, and very important for people to see.
2: Uh, You don't intend to, but clearly it does encourage other people to do it.
3: Yeah, it does. I mean, without a question of a doubt. And I can't tell you how many little kids have got to come up to me and say, Hey, we went to this abandoned house in the woods, near us. We want to do this. We really want to go there. Can you help me get it done? I don't don't entertain those things, though. I I don't. A lot of people get upset that I don't give out exact locations to a lot of my places. One of the reasons I don't, unless there's a really good context and there's a really good reason to do so, I really don't do it. And the reason I do that is I do my best to try to to not only protect them from getting hurt because, you know, I've been hurt. I've fallen through floors. I've had ceilings fall. I've been attacked. I've been in homes where serial killers used dismembered and, and, and victims' bodies. So, I mean, they have been in horrible situations. The kids just don't know what they're getting into.
2: Houses where serial killers have dismembered bodies.
3: Yes, yeah. Where I live in East, uh, where I live in Cleveland, East Cleveland is a city that's joined to me. And uh, in over the last uh, two years, so 2014-15, um, there was a couple serial killers that acted independently of one another. Anthony so well, Michael Madison, and they were using abandoned houses and uh, structures to rape and dismember their victims' bodies in. And, and I was in those homes either before or right around the same time. I, I get chills when I'll, I'll even wake up sometimes in the middle of the night just jaunted by that experience because I can't imagine what I would do if I walked in on such a thing, right? And you'd be shocked about what happens in some of these places. I went into a, an abandoned house and one of the rooms was set up as like a... Uh, it was like a sex dungeon. It was it was it was, it was it's the creepiest thing I've ever seen. And these are instances where I get the authorities involved. They wouldn't know otherwise. And so, yeah, again, I'm walking in on things that are just, um, you know, these are places that are used that that are not just for people that are going in there urban exploring or are or, or taking pictures. These are places that criminals use, drug dealers use. These are places that derelicts live. You know, you'll walk in on someone living in in one of the rooms in a hotel. You could have a, a, a hundred room abandoned hotel, and you walk in on uh, a homeless guy that has his home, and you literally walk into his home. I mean, imagine how awkward and dangerous that can be, and it can be. And so, you know, I deal with those things quite a bit, and it's uh, uh, you know, it's, it's daunting. And uh, kids really don't know any better. They see the images, and they're glamorized through, through my images and work, and yeah. they're looking at it very superficial way, and they don't really know the backstory to a lot of it.
2: Do, but do you think that's also part of the reason why urban exploration is such a buzz that you might come across that sort of thing?
3: I don't know if it's so much that. I think a lot of people have that fear. And I think a lot of people, you know, people love a controlled space and, and, and controlled um, environment to experience their fear, right? I mean, but I think more so, I think the draw is when you go into these places, it's very theatrical. It's like a movie set. I've worked as a location scout for Hollywood movies. A lot of these places that I've shot have been used in movies like Transformers, Avengers. There's this draw to it. Once you're in this, it's like you're in a whole other planet. I want Americans to see what's happening to their country from the the comfort of their suburban homes and their smartphones. Exactly why I started taking pictures.
0: So great to have Seth on this episode. In fact, he said to us, remember, if you're doing urban exploration, yeah. I have to be part of this episode. Really excited, too, that he's given us a heap of his pics to share.
2: Fantastic. Look, there's a 185-metre-tall skyscraper abandoned in Bangkok. It was about 75% complete when construction was stopped during the Asian financial crisis back in 1997, and urban explorers can't get enough of what's now called the ghost power including Ian and his girlfriend Adriana. Ian has in fact been up twice.
5: The first time I went alone because Adriana was in Cambodia alone because I still had school and a test. We went to we went to study abroad over there for uh, we're in college right now and that weekend I decided to go alone because I had nothing else to do. So I was like, all right, this, this needs to happen. I have always wanted to go up this thing, uh, this tower ever since I saw a video on it and we were in Bangkok, so it was the time to do it. So I got, I put in Sathorn Unique Tower, that's the real name of the ghost tower. And I uh, told my uh, taxi driver and he knew exactly where to take me. It took about 40 minutes from where we were from and it's right in the middle of Bangkok. And I got out right into this alleyway and I saw these big steel fences and they had warning signs all over them saying dangerous, keep out, uh, illegal, and all these different words. A lot of Thai words that I did not understand, of course. (laughs) And it also had pictures of previous tourists and people that liked the adventure that got caught and got arrested going up and they were posted on the wall. So that kind of got, that, that made me a little bit nervous, but I decided to knock on the steel door and hopefully a guard would come by. So I kept doing it for a little bit and a guard then looked over the fence and said, Bangkok police, or they would call the, he would call the police and uh, get me in trouble. And then I, 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 spoke a little bit of Thai. I said, Kapkun Kop," which means hello. <laughs>
4: no, <laughs> Swati Kap or Yeah, yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. <laughs> Kapkun Kap is thank you, Swati cop is hello. And he kind of respected me a little bit more. And we started talking and he said, no, I don't have the key. I don't have the key right now. Um, The other guard has it. He didn't speak that great of English, but I could understand him a little bit. And so he kept, he went back over the fence and I didn't see him. So I kept knocking. And at that point he didn't look over. So I was kind of walking around the ghost tower, looking up and trying to figure out different ways to get in. And when I couldn't find a different way, I decided, all right, if I'm going to get in trouble, I might as well go all out. <laughs> so I started knocking on the steel doors again. And without a doubt, this guy came over and was saying, go away. And then I was like, please just let me in the first floor. So he let me in the first floor for 100 bot. And um, on the first floor, it's very, of course, it's barren. And there's a lot of graffiti. But he, I kept begging him to go up to the, fir- uh, the top floor and I would pay him more. I don't have the key. I don't have the key. And like, so I was like, all right, today might not be the day. And then out of nowhere, when I was just walking around alone, aimlessly looking at crazy things in there, holes and voids, I, uh, he came over with a notepad, which this wasn't in the article. Actually. I forgot to tell the person that made the article this.
0: I get a scoop.
3: Yeah. I (laughs)
5: know. So he came over with a notepad and he starts writing down these numbers. And I was like, all right, I, I have no idea what this means. And it said 12, and then he put two on the other side of the notepad. So I was like, all right, 12, two. Like, it, I went around 12 in the afternoon. So I was like, all right, it's, it's right now. And then he wrote a date, which was three days later, uh, or two days later. And it said, so basically, I put it together that he wanted me to come back so I could pay him the uh, money, and the, the, the key would be there. It was funny. He was writing like a son, so I would know that it was like in the afternoon on the paper. And so then I was like, all right, I'll come back in a couple days for sure. So we set up, it was kind of like an appointment, like you're going to the doctor's office. So that brought me back a couple days later and I got ran right away because the guard remembered me and I paid him uh, 500 bot, which is about $15, uh, 15 to $20. And he unlocked the padlocks to the second floor And then from there, we just went up and, or I just went up, I was alone. And I went up uh, 50 flights of stairs and it was the most unreal experience because you get a 360 view of Bangkok, you're all alone and you have heard horror stories of this building and crazy stories. So it was just a crazy adrenaline rush I never felt. And it was like the excitement of being where not a lot of people have been before.
0: So what are some of the crazy stories that you'd heard about Ghost Tower?
4: Well, first of all, to clarify, I'm pretty sure back in the day, like a couple of years ago, it was open to the public. From my understanding, I had read like earlier that you could, it was considered to be an indoor hike and it wasn't illegal to um, go up there. And then we heard, i we don't know if it's true, but we had heard there, there had been like druggies who would go there at night and that people were um committing suicides in there and so the government shut it down because they figured it wasn't really a safe place for the public um and then it became really illegal where they would have a security guard and whatever but we had seen youtube videos where it didn't seem to be hard to get up there like what do you think like three years ago
5: yeah about three years ago that's when we first watched a video on it and
4: then i it became more um unapproachable, which I don't know. I think we need to check our facts a little more on that. But from our understanding, that's kind of like the vibe we got.
0: Was it precarious climbing? Did you say it was 47 levels?
5: Yeah, 47 Uh, to 50 levels.
0: What were the dangers?
4: Uh, The the staircase the whole way was uneven. And then at one point in the first or the second video, we show this, that at level 33, you actually have to switch staircases um, so it doesn't go straight up. And that was kind of scary because you have to walk down a hall and you see how, like...
5: You see holes everywhere. You see just bathtubs laying around, toilets, like, clothes from past people that either lived there or left. Yeah.
4: Who knows what went on in there? So it's kind of spooky the whole time from, like, the stories we heard and whatever.
5: Yeah. So walking up was... It was dangerous. Um, It's You're definitely able to do it pretty easily, but it's still scary that you could fall through holes or... Not be able to see some. That's why it's a good time to go during like daylight.
4: Yeah, I hours. couldn't have done it alone. So I'm surprised that Ian went up by himself. Like I would have been really scared by myself.
0: We'll share their blog, the other side, which includes video of their visit to the ghost tower. Now, Tyler Cave is a filmmaker, and he's also explored the ghost tower among other abandoned places.
1: Yeah. So, um, I, for for my job traveling around different countries, I like to check out things to do in different areas and i came across this ghost tower my brother actually he lives in thailand he's been there about four years now and he was the one who he told me about it and he said oh you should go check this out when you're here and uh, i did a bit of research and um, i found some stories of people going up there and checking it out i just heard mixed reviews of how it's been now locked down and hard to get into you can't get into anymore and I kind of just went to check it out. And after a few attempts, um, I finally ended up making it up and uh, checking it out. I can
0: only imagine how fascinating it is to be in an abandoned building. How did you feel?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really cool. Like for, for when I first arrived there, um, it was all gated up and uh, I ended up meeting another guy. He's a German guy and we were both kind of walking around outside. We didn't know each other or anything like that. He uh, was, backpacking as well throughout Asia and um, we started chatting and he mentioned that he was kind of doing the same thing and he was trying to get up as well and so we kind of teamed up together and uh, we started knocking on the, the tin that was surrounded by the building and uh, waited about 10 minutes no answer and so we we're about to leave and then we just decided to give it one more chance and we knocked a bit and we saw a guy coming through the little hole we could see a guy and he comes over to the gate and he says he starts talking in Thai and he said like no, 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 no. And we're like, we can give you money. Basically. Uh, we ended up giving him roughly $10 us to get access to it. And, um, he opened the gate and, we, we went in and he had the keys. I guess he's one of the guards there and he let us, he opened the, the gate to the ghost tower. Um, from there, we just basically walked up the staircase, stopping around in each floor and checking things out on the way up.
0: It's not your first experience in an abandoned place. Are You also ventured somewhere in Bali?
1: Yeah, I've done a bit of stuff in Bali. Um, there's an abandoned hotel there uh, we checked out as well. and That was with a few other friends, which is uh, pretty interesting as well
0: was the adrenaline there we was it exciting
1: yeah i think i think the thing is with finding these places it's just i mean obviously um they're places that people don't see often and it's like a new perspective of something that uh people don't see um much of just because of now of social media blowing up and everything all these spots are getting exposed and all these tourist destinations that once years ago were really hidden and people didn't know about are being found and now finding these like abandoned areas that are locked up and hidden it feels like kind of like more of an adrenaline rush and excitement to see these places and actually get access to these places because it's more of like an accomplishment to get access to these uh, locations that you're not actually um, act, or be, being able to get access to on a regular basis.
0: So you're Canadian, what sort of gems have you got there?
1: Uh, yeah, so I live, on, I'm from Vancouver Island in, on in British Columbia. And uh, there's a few different things, not too many abandoned buildings there. I live in a small city, actually, and uh, we have a few different things. There's actually one little place on Vancouver Island. It's an old abandoned hotel as well that, like, back in the day never ended up getting built. So it's just a a concrete foundation, and uh, it's all graffitied up, and it's looking over um, a little waterfall and a river in Souk, um, near my hometown and that's a place I like to check out and kind of bring friends to. It's not, it's nothing like the ghost tower or anything up in, in Asia and those abandoned buildings there, but um, it's pretty cool. To just to show some people around that area in my hometown.
0: There seems to be some blurred lines though, between what you're doing um, and what Seth is doing. And then the the people that are going for the ultimate selfie, the ones that post on Instagram and you know, often get sponsorship out of it, but it can come at a at a high cost. In fact, there have been some deaths. Is that urban exploration is is kind of what I want to know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I see these photos and videos that people are taking in these crazy locations. And uh, I mean, personally, I, I'm not going to be risking my life to be doing anything like that. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to be hanging off any buildings. I'm not going to be taking selfies off the side of buildings or anything like that. It's if I'm going to be going up anywhere, um, urban exploring, I'm going to make sure it's like a safe area and, um, making sure it's done properly, even though sometimes obviously going into these locations is, um, it's locked or maybe not legal. A lot of the times, um, I'm not going to be risking my life or doing something just for a photo. It's not worth it in the end. And I know what you're saying is, um, these people are getting sponsored posts and they're, they're getting these brands with people that are like, Oh, you're going in these areas and taking these photos. But personally, it's not an objective for me at all. Like I, I just like to explore certain areas and, um, see different perspectives of things um but yeah i'm not going to be going up to these areas and dangling and walking on edges and stuff like that i'll I'll make sure everything's safe before i um, attempt anything like that
0: a great idea tyler as look there've been fatalities a newspaper exec fell to his death from a top floor of a london hotel while taking pictures
2: Yeah, and Rebecca Bunting, some consider the queen of urbex photography. She was swept away in a storm water drain while also taking pictures.
0: And then there was the Chinese climber, which I so can't believe is still, that vision is still available (laughs) of him falling to his death. He died after falling 60-odd stories. Just Google urbex fatalities and there are headlines everywhere and it happens in our backyard here in Australia. As we're about to find out, the cave clan are considered the pioneers. Pioneers of urban exploration here and it was over three decades ago, Woody, Duggo, and Sloth, all very Australian names. <laughs>
2: they were actually that's their real names. Yes,
0: yes, exactly. <laughs> they ventured out to explore Diamond Creek and they now have members from around the world.
2: As we sleep in the dead of night,
0: they come. A secret society that descends deep into the underworld beneath our cities. Their faces as hidden as the labyrinth of highways, tunnels and caves they explore. The Cave Clan. Around the world, beneath cities like Paris and New York, whole communities exist underground. They call it urbex, urban exploring, and the closest you may ever get to them is here on the internet, where they post many of their discoveries.
2: We have one of those Cave Clan founders with us, Duggo. Do you consider yourself pioneers
6: um well we were definitely i think anyway the first group to sort of move beyond their own um city as in we sort of started in the northern suburbs of melbourne and then we went to other parts of melbourne and then yeah we've now got branches sort of in most cities and members around the world so i think whether probably to this day i guess um as far as physical you know we we go over there and explore where where the uh Probably one of the only groups that have done that. Um, there's a lot that are online and they've got friends and that overseas. But we're, you know, like so. I guess in, from that um, aspect, we, we probably are the pioneers, but we're definitely not the first. Um, you know, there's people exploring in the catacombs under Paris, you know, hundreds of years ago. You know, and even in Melbourne, there was a group called the Draniacs um, that were around in the 40s and 50s. And yeah, pretty much, I guess, pioneers is fair enough. Fair enough uh, description.
0: I believe also Berlin's great for some underground exploration.
6: Yeah, yeah, actually one of the uh, old school cave Clan guys is moving over there any days. He's actually, he was born in England, but he's been here his whole life and he's actually uh, trying to get, or he's moving back before Brexit. I haven't really done much in Europe. I've um, been in the catacombs under Paris and um, I did the Harry Lyme from The Third Man movie from uh, Awesome Wales was in a cycle 19, because I should remember the year. But anyway, they're basically uh, Awesome Wells' character gets chased through these really cool tunnels under Vienna. Quite surreal, you know, walking along the same place that someone was 50 years ago in a movie. But I've got a video on YouTube where we sort of compare bits from the movie and and us being there. Or Russia is supposed to be really good too. Uh, They've got some tunnels, but they've just got all this crazy stuff, stuff that we can only dream of here because we're just just a baby as far as... uh, you know, structures and that go. We've still got some cool old prisons and hospitals and things like that, but nothing like what they have in Europe.
0: So, so what do you, so it's not just drains, because when I think of going underground, yeah. I just kind of get this image of, and I'm sure this is what most people think, it's, you know, a little bit of water, smelly, rats, um, you know, stuff from sewers. A- am I painting a picture that's entirely false?
6: You are, but it's uh, an accurate false um, uh, picture because that's, yeah, that's that's the, uh, just about, when I say accurate, as in everyone that hasn't been down there pretty much says what you said, but there are, you know, there, there are old blue stone ones and sandstone, uh, red brick, and then there's, you know, waterfalls and stairways and, and, and a variety of different shapes.
0: Have you Have you ever discovered anything in terms of history?
6: It stuff has been found, but not physically us. I mean, when they were digging in, in Melbourne, they found these tunnels, which have a good story, a backstory, that ran from Parliament House to what was then the Red Light District. And they reckon it was basically so the politicians could get to the Red Light District without being seen.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Is there any link between this kind of urban exploration and, and the art world?
6: Definitely is. Um, there's a, a lot of people... In the Cave Clan, I guess it's we sort of attract that kind of people. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, aerosol artists in the group, and as and uh, just artists in general, and musicians, and and uh, a lot of people that know about the Cave Clan know about Big Ears, which he's a guy that um records music and sounds down in the drains and tunnels and, you know, inside bridges. Like um, a lot of the big bridges are hollow, so we sort of get into them and some of it's pretty cool. Nowadays, you know, probably 90% of people that do it are photographers.
0: Look, a couple of final questions. Safety. Do you recommend anyone jumping into a drain to have a look around?
6: Now that I'm older and I have my own kids, I, I wouldn't suggest that people just... Which is what's sort of happening because the social media the side of it, the social media side of it has gotten so popular. Where there might have been a couple of hundred people exploring um, drains in Australia, you know, there might be a couple of thousand now, and you'd and, and I hear a lot more about people getting washed out and living, uh, luckily, but there are a lot more accidents happening. You know, people have died doing it, and I once had a lady. this is a pretty sad story, but um, Brian McHugh was just kid who died a couple of days before christmas this is like 20 years ago he got washed through my local drain the drain that i sort of used to explore when i was a kid and he had he had actually tried contacting me he got my phone number and um called me at home on my home phone number and i sort of basically said you're too young he was only 14 at the time and he said um oh you know uh, as soon as i'm 18 i'm gonna join a clan and he made fake like his own cave clan shirt and him and his friend would go, and they, they were sort of exploring drains anyway, but we sort of had a, you know, you had to be over 18 policy. Anyway, he ended up drowning. They got caught in a flash flood, and um, when while well, he was missing, his friend climbed, managed to climb out. Uh, they got washed out into the creek, and then he climbed up the bank, but, but Brian didn't make it, and um, they were searching for him for a few days, and, you know, I just got this phone call. And I sort of picked up the phone and I said hello and I just heard this old lady with a strong Scottish accent and it was Brian's mum and she was basically, you know, she was crying, she was upset and she was basically begging me to, you know, that if I could go up the tunnel and find somewhere that he might have crawled up but I sort of knew where they were and the, the how bad the storm was. Um, I knew that he was dead. So, maybe in hindsight, if, if, if we had a, taken him under our wing, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it wouldn't have happened.
2: As fascinating as this topic is, can we make it absolutely clear that World Nomads does not condone the activity, nor do we ensure it? Trespassing, breaking and entering, they're all illegal activities, and we can't ensure anything that's illegal. Plus, many of these structures are obviously in decay and they pose a danger of injury to you. You know this when you enter, right? And um, Part of your contract with us as a travel insurer, or with any travel insurer, is that you agree you will not put yourself at unnecessary risk or do anything that exposes your insurer to a claim. That's the deal. If you don't keep your side of the deal, we don't have to keep ours. We can't keep ours. If you're hurt or if you're arrested, if you become trapped, it's on you. I strongly suggest that you uh, take urban exploration as something you enjoy vicariously. In other words, let someone else, preferably someone with the skills and the training and the right equipment, let them take all the risks and you sit back in safety and look at the pictures and listen to the
0: stories. Yeah, good advice. Having said that though, Spree Park, been in there and narrowly missed out on going into the abandoned water park in Vietnam. Didn't realise they accepted the bribes, Phil.
2: Look, it happens. Yeah. But we're not endorsing it. If you're doing it, you're on your own is what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, and so- it's, and don't misunderstand this episode of the podcast as an encouragement to do it or an endorsement of it or as any way that we may uh, ensure you whilst you're doing it. That is just not true. But – As world nomads, as people who love travel, I think it's a fascinating topic to talk about.
0: I couldn't agree with you any more. Now, because we mentioned insurance, you know what you have to play. Here it is.
2: The information we provide about travel insurance is a brief summary only. It does not take into account your personal needs and does not include all terms, conditions, limitations, exclusions and termination provisions of the travel insurance plans described. Coverage may not be available for residents of all countries, states or provinces. Please carefully read the policy wording available at wallnomads.com for a full description of coverage.
0: Oh, when's that album coming? out?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Love it.
0: We will have links to our guests and Seth's picks in show notes. Where are we off to next, Phil? We're
2: we going to Portugal. I'm really looking forward to that one. Look, if you've got any feedback on the episode or suggestions for future topics that you want to hear uh, in the podcast, then please email us at podcast at worldnomads.com.
0: Now, you can get the World Nomads podcast on iTunes or download the Google Podcast app. Make sure you subscribe to, And you can also ask Alexa and Google Home to play the World Nomads podcast. And they will. Bye. Bye.
3: The World Nomads podcast. Explore your boundaries.